everybody. Welcome to the 62nd episode of the JDO Show. I'm your host, J. David Osborne. This is Big 62, Big 6-2. You know what 6-2 means. It's time to talk to Jim Ruland. That's right, Mr. Jim Ruland. He's the curator of the Vermin on the Mount reading series. He's the author of Forest of Fortune. Fortune? That's how I'm going to pronounce fortune from now on. Fortune. Fortune. I have been in a fucking shitty mood lately, and I uh, I think I, I figured it out. It's because I stopped smoking. That's what it is. I'm almost two weeks into no cigarettes, and I was just... The other night was interesting to me because I realized that for the past, I don't know, seven, eight years, however long I've been smoking, um, I think I've just been placating this, this white-hot rage that bubbles up inside of me. Um, in fact, the first time uh, my relationship ended um, with a person I really, really cared about, it was because I was an angry person. That was before I smoked. Right, but that was the main reason that was given. You know, you're an angry person. So this is really interesting. I, I started smoking after we split up, and um, I've been smoking ever since, and I think that that has just been kind of putting a leash on what is probably a real problem that I have to, that now I have to just face. I just have to deal with it. Um, so it, it'll, be, it'll be really, really interesting to see how that goes. I'm going to probably sort of rein in my use of social media because it brings out the absolute worst in me because there's I could talk for 10 minutes about that nobody wants to hear another person complain about social media but instead I'm just I think I'm just gonna turn the old uh inspector glasses what am I trying to say microscope what are those goddamn things called anyway I'm going to turn that inward and really figure out like what's going on because it's an issue that clearly I put a band-aid on for 10 years and uh, and that's and that band-aid was just like let me just inhale toxic chemicals into my body that will push this attitude down so that I that people can actually deal with with me um and it's kind of exciting in a way I'm on a big like self-improvement kick you know working out a lot now trying to eat right although ice cream has become a big part of my life um but I'm, I'm interested in self-improvement and I think that you know we as people it's just a natural thing to like look outward and try to blame others for our issues but I think that if I if I look at I look deep within my soul there's something that I have to get to down there that there's an anger issue and I have to deal with that anyway I'm not going to ramble about that too much. I saw Tom Green last night. I went to go see some stand-up. It was fantastic. I laughed my ass off. The opener, whose name I cannot recall. I'll try to find the, the, the opener's name because they were fantastic. Um, but there was a <laughs> there was a heckler, and uh, I got to see a heckler get pretty much dismantled by Tom Green, which was really, really cathartic. Um and then there were jokes about poop corn, uh, like corn that comes from poop. Um, there was a lot of like him, you know, repeating the same phrase over and over again. It's it's it was the Tom Green style humor. I fucking love. Like I I was almost crying. That's exactly my speed and where my sense of humor comes from. So it was great. I hope you guys are all doing fantastic out there. I hope that your day is bright and shiny and full of opportunity 
And I hope that you enjoy this interview with Jim Ruland. It turned out that he and I have a lot in common. We've been sort of, uh, I think we've we've met up a few times. I, I met him at AW. He was the first person I met at the first AWP I went to. Um, and, but, you know, we never really sat down and, and connected. So this, uh, this conversation, by the end of it, we end up being, uh, I feel like we're buddies now. So that, that's cool. That's all I need, folks. I just need an hour with you. If you think I'm a dick, just, just give me an hour. You'll like me. I promise. Anyhow, uh, enjoy this interview. Uh, do help out, uh, Jim in any way you can. Vermin on the Mount is a really, I think it's an important thing in addition to just being kind of a cool thing. So, so check this out. Check out what he's what he's talking about here at the end, and uh, and check out his books too. He did that. Uh, I think it's called My Damage with Keith Morris. I hope I'm getting that right, uh, but I'm also not going to check it. So, this is my ramble ass intro. I kind of like these. I kind of like doing it this way. Anyway, I'll shut the fuck up. This is issue uh, issue. See, I'm not even going to cut that out. Woohoo! Episode sixty two with Jim Ruin. Bye. First of all, hey, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for thanks for being on. That's my dog. Uh, she does this kind of, it's kind of like um, the gunshot at the beginning of a race. Uh, as soon as my dog knows that I'm actually recording, something clicks in her brain and she leaps off the bed and starts pacing around. So <laughs> she'll be good background noise. But uh, you were just kind of talking about how, um, you know, you're refilling your coffee because your schedule's sort of out of whack and I can really kind of relate to that because now this new job that I have like I'm doing like half nights and then one morning shift right so I mean last night I went to bed at like 10 p.m. and then I woke up at four and then I was up for a few hours and then I went back to sleep and uh then I woke up at like like 10 and I was like shit I don't have time to do anything so I'm just all over the place man yeah it really messes you up when you uh go into that alternate schedule and you just kind of see the world for what it really is, uh, a parallel universe <laughs> created by some demonic entity for de- its own amusement. The Demiurge, man. It's the Demiurge. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for sure, for sure. So you were coming back from L.A. Were you doing anything fun or exciting in Los Angeles? Yeah, I went to see uh, Ron Curry uh, read at Book Soup. Oh, cool. And Ron Curry is um, an old friend of mine, but someone I know mostly online mm-hmm. um, from back in the days when you were kind of embarrassed to admit that. Right. But um, he participated in my reading series, Vermin on the Mount, like we figured out eight years ago. And he lives in Maine and doesn't get out to the West Coast all that often. So I made the drive up to L.A. to, to see him. And he did... Uh, a, re- a short reading with a conversation with uh, another friend of mine in L.A., a writer, Julia Ingalls, who kind of sets that whole thing up, and she's very involved in the literary community in Los Angeles. And also another friend, Joshua Moore, from San Francisco, although I guess he lives in Seattle now. Uh, he was down, and so I always like spending time with, with Josh as well. I've been meaning to pick up Sirens. I've been hearing nothing but good things about it. It's I just just there's been a ton of those good, um, you know, like depressing sort of like drug memoir type things, and so I I just had to like take a break for a little bit. But as soon as I jump, because I think that's probably my favorite genre. If if I have a favorite 
subgenre. Uh, and so that one's probably first on the list once I get back into it. Yeah, it's really readable. Um, I had read an earlier version of it, and it's really remarkable uh, how much it changed and what what he did, you know, in terms of structuring it. Um, but I think it's also because part of this part of his, you know, his obviously it's a memoir, so his life informs you know the telling of the story, but in pretty radical ways because he was going through all these different changes and namely uh, learning that he had a, a heart defect mm. and had to have corrective surgery. And so kind of using that as a way to tell the story, which that's pretty fucking, good. It's so fucking sc- like to the idea. Cause like weak hearts run in my family and I have, uh, I'm a hypochondriac really bad. And so <laughs> I've been like drinking all these teas and taking this thing called heart strong, which I got at whole foods which apparently has all these, you know, different vitamins and shit that are supposed to make the heart stronger. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, the, the idea of have, like finding out that, you know, the thing that sort of like powers your body is defective. It's like, like one of the worst things I think that you could find out. It's like, oh shit, the motor's going bad, the ticker. Yeah, there's, um, I can actually, well, just keep talking about Josh a little bit because there's a story he tells in his book about, you know, how he found out about it. Um, and I, I'm kind of behind the scenes in that story. So I'll tell you now, it was at the Los Angeles Times Festival of Books. And I was moderating a panel that he was supposed to be on when I got a call from his wife saying, hey, uh, we're not going to make it. I'm taking Josh to the emergency room right now. And I'm like, oh, uh, what's happening? I'm like, we don't know. He can't talk. Oh, shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is pretty scary. Yeah. And it turns out he had had a stroke. Oh, and uh, so, you know, like with, you know, it's pretty easy to, you know, like, oh, well, he's a guy in recovery. So obviously he's somehow responsible for this. You know, right. Mm-hmm. You, know, mm-hmm. you make those judges must be some kind of drug or behavior, or, you know, the past catching up, all that stuff. But it turns out, no, that he's had this defect all his life. So, um. So he's actually he, just kind of a badass that he's managed to, to kind of like soldier through all that shit with a bad heart, right? Yeah, he's got some pretty amazing stories that, that related to that, so I won't say anything else because I don't want to spoil it for, for readers. But definitely pick it up. Um, it's neither like super depressing and harrowing to the point where you just feel like, why exist? Mm-hmm. Nor is it a kind of schmaltzy, um, sentimental deal yeah you had mentioned ron curry too i I really i don't know that guy personally but i'm also like the facebook friend thing and i gotta be honest like he's one of the few people who i haven't unfollowed yet you know uh just because i really enjoy like his i feel like him he and i are on the same angry page a lot of the time (laughs) (laughs) and so it's just a really good outlet because i mean and i feel like he says it in a much more artic like my way is normally just to be like fuck all this bullshit god damn it you know but then then i'll go over to ron curry's page and it seems like you know he like makes points and shit yeah he's um you know he's definitely a angry young man in the sense but he's always kind of been that way like kind of the premature curmudgeon right which which um i don't know i mean i think i have a little bit of that too except i'm solidly middle-aged so 
Right. I don't know how premature that is for me. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, but no, man, you always come off as like a pretty level-headed, mellow guy. So are you basically, is like, are you one of those dudes who like your rage is just like you've managed to find a way to hide it really well and keep it all below the surface? Because I don't think I ever see you lose it, really. Um, yeah, I, probably. Um, because social media... Let's see, what am I agreeing to probably? Well, well, social media came up after I got sober, so that's probably the big thing is that, mm -hmm. you know, you, you've never seen my fuck all y'all kind of uh, right, right, right. statements, which used to happen, you know, and, you know, inappropriate moments of intimacy and with friends and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Right, right, right. So basically now it's like, and, and so I guess... Do you think that, like, so that part of you, like, hasn't really come out since the sobriety? Like, at, like, or does it still rear its head? Or, or was it just, did it go hand in hand with, with drinking? Or what? Or was it, was it even, it was drinking, right? Yeah, it was, yeah, drinking is the main thing. Um, I was listening to one, uh, one of your shows with, uh, I think, with Nate mm -hmm. um, that you had on recently. You talked yeah. about how like it got to the point where his drinking was always triggering, you know, some kind of, you know, you get to a certain point in his inebriation where he was calling the, calling his dealer. And it was, it was kidding, getting to that point with me as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that story really resonated. But yeah, drinking is the thing. Right. I don't know. I, I think it was more, um, just, you know, arrested development mm -hmm. in my case. And once I, you know, figured out different things that were, um, you know, it's not so much that I figured out what was wrong with me and how to deal with it. Um, I just, in the recovery program, figuring out what are common, what, what do relapses have in common? What are different mm -hmm. things? And once I figured that out, it was like, it kind of put me on a much happier path. Right, right. And so did you did you replace drinking with anything? Was it was it coffee or exercise or something or Um no. No, maybe just, you know, getting my shit together and right one way or another, but no, I, I mean, I, if they take coffee away from me, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, tell you the truth. <laughs> Well, no, because I guess the, the, the reason why I asked that question is because it does seem to me sometimes, and I, I could be way off base with this, but it seems like uh, a lot of people who quit stuff, they end up becoming like, you know, gym rats or, you know, they, they, they get really into something. And, and to, to my mind, I guess I wonder if that's really fixing a problem or just like kind of distracting from it because... I mean, I don't know anything about it, but is it more like, you know, you're, you're trying to get rid of that addictive personality altogether, or I guess it's better to substitute one thing for a different thing, but it just, it seems like if you're, you know, like going to the gym every single day and like taking a ton of supplements and, you know, and you can't miss your, your, your gym time or you're going to freak out, like you maybe haven't, I mean, it's just different, right? Like, yeah, I, I think I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, I, I see that, but I don't think that was how it was for me. Um, I just thought that, like, I remember when I got sober, I signed up for classes and volunteered for a bunch of things because I thought I was going to have all this time. And it, it, it turned out I really didn't. It's just mm -hmm. 
I just started doing things, giving things the attention that they deserved in the first place. Right. You know, like, you know, my relationships and my writing and that kind of thing. And so, it's, so no, yeah, I think maybe. Of, it's kind of funny yeah. too, man, because I, I just, I just quit smoking. I got, I'm on almost at two weeks now, and uh, I thought it would be really tough too. But I think the biggest thing that was difficult was that was during writing or really kind of doing anything you know you you finish writing a, a good line or something and you're like oh shit yeah I, I get to go smoke a cigarette now woohoo and then you're like no wait no I can't do that and then it's like okay so I'll write a little bit more and then I get a cigarette right and it's like no no you just have to kind of just like sit here and just keep doing this one thing and you're like well yeah. that's fucking lame I don't want to like where's my where's my reward and it's kind of like well dude you don't you don't get one you just you just do this now, so I. But it, it your your mind shit like like reorients itself. I think towards that. Yeah, I've been following your uh, your your saga through you know the show and whatnot through the different posts, and um, I used to smoke, but it was such a long time ago that I honestly don't remember, um, you know how hard it was um, to quit. I know I quit cold turkey after just an epic. New Year's Eve in Las Vegas, where where I think I smoked like three packs. And Holy shit! In addition to you know all the other miscellaneous mayhem that went with it, and I just felt so bad the next day that I was sick and hungover, and I was just like it made it easy to quit because I was at a low point, you know. Mm-hmm. That's how my bro- That's how uh, my little brother managed to do it. He just he he smoked a whole bunch and then woke up and then I think he got like the flu or something. And that made it easy. But for me, I don't know, like, I was, uh, I was, I used to talk to uh, Johnny Shaw about this a lot. And oh, yeah. he would just be like, you know, man, because he smoked and he'd be like, you know what, dude, you'll just, eventually something will just click and you'll be like, fuck it. And that's just kind of how it was. I had, I woke up um, after work one night and I had a half a cigarette because, you know, I like, I have the American spirit so I could like snipe them and do like a twofer for one cigarette. Yeah. So I had like one little half cigarette in it and I like, op- <laughs> I like woke up and I opened up the pack and they smell super bad after you light them and then snipe them. And so uh, I, like, yeah, I looked down at it and I like smelled it and I was like, man, fuck that. And I just like threw it in the trash <laughs> and that was it. That was just the thing that clicked, you know? Yeah. It's funny. Like I remember, um, you know, there were certain things like I'm, yeah, I'm a big sports fan, and I used, to, especially with uh, the NFL, I used to like, how am I going to watch football without beer mm-hmm. or uh, or punk rock? You know, going to live shows and alcohol and other things would always go well together. Be like, well, how am I going to go to a show and not do that? And it's it's super easy. It's just all in. It's the hurdles are all in your head. Mm-hmm. It's just something that you're used to, and then you just get used to something else. Right, exactly, and that yeah, and it's all the build up too. And I think like it's almost like going over a cliff. And once you actually get to the club, or like once the you know uh, the game comes on, and you've gone like fifteen minutes and you haven't drank anything or smoked anything, you're like, oh, I'm still I'm still here, nice, you know. Like, yeah, I, and I find like I I you know watch sports very passionately. So I you know now I just drink my soda water or whatever and. And I and I now I understand like why I get so wrecked on game days because I was just you know drinking you know nervously because now I do that with water and I'll go through like half a dozen 
giant pints of soda water or water. And I'm like, and I go to the bathroom just as much as I used to when I was drinking beer. This is now you're hydrated as fuck. Yeah, now, but now I'm good. <laughs> so you said big, sorry, you're in San Diego, so Chargers guy? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm a New York Giants fan. Oh, okay. So what's the, so you're from New York originally? I was, yeah, I was born there, and my parents are from there. And I grew up in a military family, so um, my dad was, you know, he had like New York friends and would watch the Giants game wherever wherever we lived. Mm-hmm. So what what branch of the military was your dad in? Navy. Navy. Oh, okay. So you you followed in the footsteps then? Yeah, I was. You know. I was going to prove to to him and to the world how I was not like him after mm-hmm. high school by um, enlisting in the Navy. Right on. <laughs> so the plan was a little short-sighted. He, he was an officer and I was an enlistment, and that was not very well thought out on my part. Right, yeah. No, my dad was in the was in the Army, and a uh, long line of Army people in my family. I was like the first one. Everybody was a little taken aback, right? Because... Uh, dad was uh but I, mine was kind of the same thing too mine was sort of like a fuck you dad but i was like i'm gonna go be a bohemian uh <laughs> and he was kind of like i don't really care because that was kind of his personality like he just sort of doesn't give a shit he's like he there was a battle going on between him and me that he didn't know was occurring and he just didn't <laughs> care you know what i mean yeah that whole adolescent call to arms you know? mm-hmm that happens in the teenage brain. Yeah, I'm right. pretty familiar with that. But yeah, so uh, did you, I'm assuming you moved around a shitload growing up like that. You know, uh, I did and I didn't. Like in the first half of my life, well half, but the first half of my childhood, um, I think I lived in like seven different places by the time I was six years old. But then uh, once we were kind of settled in uh, the, um Virginia, we moved from the uh, Virginia Beach area to the Washington, D.C. suburbs. And my dad was stationed, you know, when he got stationed back down in uh, Virginia Beach, we just stayed in the D.C. area because he was going to be out to sea for most of his Mm -hmm. uh, time there. So it made no sense for us to, you know, move down there for a couple of years, knowing we moved back, if he was going to be out to sea for most of it. So. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah, that's actually, that's right around where I was born, because my, when my dad uh, and mom had me, dad was at VMI. So, okay. uh, yeah, so mom uh, lived in Springfield. Uh, Springfield, Virginia. Yep, and I was born in Fairfax. Uh, okay. Uh, so, see, I grew, I went to school in Arlington, okay. which is the next, the next county over, and I lived in Falls Church. Oh, right on, right on. Yeah, no, I love that area. I still go back and visit because my aunt still lives in Woodbridge, so I'll go hang out over there. It bring, always brings back memory. I spent like pretty much every summer <clears throat> with my grandma who lived in Springfield, and then she moved to Dumfries. But yeah, I would uh, I would spend like every summer there. So it just has that special. Northern Virginia has that special uh, like f- nostalgia to it, I guess. It's great if you like humidity and conformity. <laughs> I like one of those things, but I won't say which one. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a big fan of the of the area, mm-hmm. but yeah, I do have. Um, I'm feeling very weirdly sentimental about it lately. Um, I, I think mainly because of all the. Uh, I listened to a podcast with a 
Henry Rollins and Ian McKay talking about all the punk rock shows that they went to, uh, most of them in D.C., but also some in, some in Virginia and other places between 1979 and 1981. And I, I didn't go to any of those shows. I'm not that old, but right. it was it's just weird to hear these guys talking about these different places that are like, oh, I know that. Oh, I went there, and oh, I know what you know. It's, well, that was, all, yeah, that was going to be my place. question. You you had to see some pretty cool shit, though, right? Like, because that, that was a good area for punk all through the 80s, right? Dude, I, I missed all of it. Oh, fuck, man. I was, I was a sheltered Catholic schoolboy. And, I mean, I, I shouldn't say all of it. Well, yeah, I did. I missed all of it. I mean, yeah, <laughs> because it was all going on under my nose. Let's say, let's say... You know, that started in 79 to 81, like, all of that. I mean, granted, I was still in grade school then. I didn't start high school until 82. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it was it was there. It was happening. Yeah. I remember, I remember uh, when I joined the Navy right after high school, I got sent to San Diego, and I was some skinhead's apartment. And he was like, oh, you're, you're from Virginia. You'll like this. And he uh, put on Minor Threat and handed me the record. And I'm like looking at it and looking at like the P.O. box for Discord House. And I'm all like, what? This is like, <laughs> this is like right in my back. How? How did I miss this? You know? Oh, that's so funny. Oh, I mean, it's, you know, it's pre-internet. So how did people even, I don't even know how people found out about shit like that back then. I mean, just, yeah, I think, I think a lot of it was you had to have a, uh, an older brother uh, or an older sister, or a friend who had an older cousin, or someone you know in the know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like people mailing tapes to each other, people sending zines. Um, you know, there's all the like you know, reading reading up on you know on the history of all this. Now you hear about people like um, like Greg Ginn, for example, down in Hermosa Beach, the guitar the guy who guitar player for Black Flag. I mean, he was like mailing off. He was ordering records from all over the country. He was just really kind of tapped into that whole thing. And, yeah, yeah. And I guess Thurston Moore of Sonic Youth was the same way. Right. That's so interesting. Yeah, and that's. I don't know necessarily. I mean, I don't think that that's necessarily like a lost art. Maybe I think it's just that the internet has has turned everything into like a TV channel that you can turn to. Right, so there's so many great like places to go for curated lists, whether it's books, movies, music, whatever. Right. But there are still people. I've actually I, like, I don't have any plans to kind of like curate any of it, but I've enjoyed going through um, Bandcamp, you know, and like finding a particular um, label that I enjoy. Like most recently, it was uh, this label called Hollow Deck out of Austin. Okay. And they do a lot of like uh, some of it's sort of. Uh, stoner metal but it's got a real like electronic bent to it so okay yeah i think the first uh the first major artist they had that kind of broke out was the i can't remember their names now but they did the soundtrack to stranger things so they got that kind of john carpenter uh synth thing going on but okay but yeah but if you go to Bandcamp, it's really cool because like most of these i mean you can buy the records after you listen to them but you can listen to them first so it's it's just really like i just I've enjoyed just going through entire catalogs from the beginning, you know, just setting it to play, you know. Um, I do, I do the same thing. Um, it, it is really cool how you can get get things ahead of time, 
especially if you follow a label or follow a band. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, there's I, I've been doing that for a couple of years too. It's it's really cool. And I especially like um, I discovered a couple of years ago that like I don't listen to a lot of like thrash metal and that kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. when I do, I love listening to it in my shitty car with the windows rolled down. Yeah. So I just I just order the tapes. And that's that's pretty cool to get like tapes from stoner metal bands and they just go right to the car and never come out. Oh, that's so cool. No, you're so right about that. And I've been thinking about I was talking to Matt Rivera about this and let me throw this idea your way. You know, we were talking about how, you know, I mean, of course, Amazon exists and it's 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 a thing that is never going to go away. And even if it does, there will just be something like it that will take its place. Um but we were kind of talking about like how cool it was that some of these record labels that we really enjoyed were doing this cassette tape thing. And uh, it kind of made us think about in terms of writing, like just doing little, because there are people who are out there doing like really cool stuff with like limited chapbook runs and stuff. But I, I just kind of like the idea of having things that are finite, right? Like just like th- there's a run of it and then it's done. And yeah. I, and I'm not really sure why. <laughs> Well, I think a lot of that is a reaction to the internet. I mean, I think we've seen, I mean, I've been a part of zine culture for all my adult life, especially punk rock zine culture. And and, and that's led to other tangible things that people make. And then when they're done, they're done. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you see a resurgence in zines, in letterpress, you know, stuff that you can hold in your hands and it's, you know, tactile. It's not going to, you know, you throw it away, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that there's yeah. this this weird like kind of um, you know amongst writers in particular, since the technology exists to reach so many people, I, I think that people like, they get this idea of like I'm gonna try to give this to a thousand people, and I'm kind of moving more back towards the like I'm maybe more interested in finding like fifty people who really dig it and just sticking with those. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know if I want to you know go bigger than that. Yeah, well, um, I'm part of a arts collective here in San Diego, and we actually have a, a shop in Barrio Logan, mm-hmm. and it's a tiny little storefront. There's six of us, and you know, I'm partnered up with uh, all these super talented visual artists, jewelry maker, apparel maker, you know, you know, people on, on the in the you know the visual and design tip, and then there's me with like you know a little shelf with some of my books and, and zines but it's really cool i've been making more zines and i just put them out there for you know on the shelf for like a buck or two bucks and mm-hmm. it's and it's just allowed me to interact with people um in ways that i really haven't before mm-hmm. no and so i so what do you I, i'm wondering if i'm this is i'm getting i'm stuttering because i'm getting excited about this idea um can you explain like the communication aspect and how it's how it's different? Because you kind of mentioned that you can communicate with them like like never before, and I'm I'm curious about that. Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of. Um, I guess what I'm saying is like people aren't coming into the store to say, you know, here's a bookstore, or I wonder what Jim Rulin has out, or anything yeah. like that. I mean, it's 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 all about you know more. You know, if people come in out of curiosity, it's because of, you know, the really, you know, beautiful images and artwork that's right. on display. Right. right. And so they see my stuff as kind of by accident. They're like, well, what's this about? So, 
you kind of interact with people in a way that's a little bit different. So about like, well, this is a story about this set in this place about that thing rather than the kind of conversations you would have with other writers or things online where you're like your self curated Facebook page where you just kind of assume everybody knows a few things about you. Like a, a you're a writer and B periodically put things out. And so that C you just end up saying like, Hey, new short story, check this out over and thanks, you know, or even more specifically, I'm really honored slash stoked slash happy to be published. Slash chuffed. This uh, journal, you know, thanks to this editor, and blah, blah, you know, that kind of thing that we see every day. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that's, that's so, that gets my blood pumping, dude. Like, that's so cool. That's exactly what I'm talking about. My, my, my new two things that have kind of gotten me fired up when it comes to writing is uh, joining workshops, right? Uh, like, because I haven't done that in forever. So I'm, I'm signing up for a bunch of different workshops so I can just work on the actual writing. And then, uh-huh. The actual connection with a few people who dig it and who are possibly not necessarily but possibly also doing cool shit like that to me making my world like smaller and more manageable is is just r- way more interest because it doesn't it feel like kind of with Amazon like that you're sort of throwing things out into the ether and just sort of shrugging your shoulders and just being like well we'll, we'll see you know. Well, I think you probably have a different relationship with it as a publisher. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So, which which was probably really frustrating. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, I kind of do. I mean, I think that. I mean, obviously, like all this stuff is just I'm just talking about my writing in particular, like with Broken River. I I like to experiment, but I don't I don't like to experiment with other people's books. It's kind of my rule, right. you know what I mean? So I get to all the stuff that I do gets to be like the guinea pig for these ideas or whatever but i mean i think that once i do it i think i would probably approach other authors about like you know hey what would you think about you know just doing like a a small print run of these of these novellas or whatever you know but like right now i mean it's just it's the kind of thought of the day is that you know you just have to get it out there and promote it endlessly and hopefully people pick it up and and that's fine that's it is what it is you know yeah, it's it's really interesting. I mean, I think like um, I know that like someone like for example, look at uh, Shepard Berry and and uh, you know his you know Obey Factory of the arc that he he produces. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's got that really dialed down where you know it exists on a on a fine art level, mm-hmm. but he also does you know, things for other people with like, you know, designing record covers and book covers. And I mean, he really does a lot of different things and he's constantly having to think about like, well, you know, just how much of this stuff do I want to make available? Right. You know, do I want to like, do I want to like try to meet the demand for everybody who, you know, I think wants one of these items or do I keep it more select? you know, and then makes it more valuable for the people who seek it out. And um, I think that's something that's really, a lot of artists don't think about that. Right. And that, and that's, and that's what has, I think what's made me so hyped on that is that it also feels like there's a little bit more control in the artist's hands when they do that. You know, when you send, yes. a, you know what I mean? When you send a book out into the ether, you're kind of sacrificing it to the Amazon gods. But if you, if you make a zine and there's, and there's 50 of them, 
you know i mean you could sell that for whatever you and like and you have you have the choice like you could sell it for a buck you could sell it for 10 bucks it's all up to you and if people want that thing then they kind of sort of have to meet you on your terms there and also just artistically within the pages of the zine like you're not really beholden to anything like you could just do anything you want there's only 50 of them right so right. i don't know just feels like there's a lot of freedom there that i think we have all these tools that are supposed to like make everything more free and it actually just ends up creating new boxes right yeah it's a uh, it's really fascinating in the sense that i think that um working with visual artists me and my wife's an artist so this is not something that's like particularly new but mm-hmm. it was certainly eye-opening you know 10 years ago when we got married and i started you know interacting with other artists and going on studio visits and really getting into how all these other artists work and what their spaces are like and what their practice is like and i i it's been my thought for a long time that that writers if more writers thought like visual artists um i think the writing would be better and the whole process would be more satisfying because the thing with writers is that you know really we're collaborators we have to collaborate with the people who who make our books Mm -hmm. and more and more i see this thing where well i just write it and then i give it away to the universe and if i'm lucky it gets made into a book and that's really not the way it you should (laughs) that's not a healthy attitude towards your art i couldn't agree with you more man i could not agree with that because i mean like most of my buddies are are visual artists like back in oklahoma at least and I liked tons of stuff about them. First of all, I liked their work ethic. I mean, visual artists will like they'll wake up, smoke some weed, and just start doing their thing, right? Which you know, if weed is your thing, cool. It, I never got into it, but you know, but they'll they'll smoke up and then they'll just start chipping away at a woodblock or painting, and there's no like thought about it. You know, they're just like, oh, well, <laughs> I had this idea. It's gonna be a guy like the top of his head's gonna be missing, and there's gonna be a forest, and so I'm just chipping away. And I'm like, fuck, man, that's so rad, you know? And then and then they finish it, and if you follow these guys on Instagram or whatever, they seem like just the most delightful, because they're just like, whoa, man, I just made something cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, it's, and then you have writers, on the other hand, who are like, you know, wrote 3,000 words today, really, really went into the salt mines. And then the, you flip over to the artist Instagram, and they're like on a skateboard, eating a slice of pizza, like listening to tunes just and it says you know this is the life so they just they seem to have a much more healthy life philosophy than most writers that i know well i mean i mean i i think i, I got a taste of this when i started doing more nonfiction. but no matter what you're doing what the other guy is doing is always more interesting true and i and i found that out when i was started doing nonfiction. and i was like man fiction's so much more fun you just make stuff up you know right not fiction, and then the other way around. It was like, man, nonfiction is so much easier. You just like you just stick to the truth and what really happened. And, <laughs> yeah, it's not that simple, you know. It's 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 always a little. Everything has its challenge. Sure. But yeah, in terms of like, uh, I read this really amazing book called um, Art Without Compromise. Cool. I think is the title, right. but it had an asterisk. <laughs> which was like all the humor comes right in that asterisk and of course there's a million compromises that you have to make as an artist and what I thought was what was particularly interesting was uh, 
um, that the investigation that you know an artist makes before they send their work off, you know, like where, like where, like or this particular artist, it's like where did the work come from? Uh, is it part of a series? And just the whole notion of a series is also kind of weird for for writers. It's like, well, what do you mean, like, you know, like maybe you know, working the same material over and over again from different approaches and like what that can teach you mm. uh, about yourself and your relationship to art by, by doing that kind of thing. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. That's super odd. Yeah, no, I, I think that there's a ton to learn from how uh, the other side, li- I think that it can go a little bit far. I, for example, uh, how that doesn't work for me is like, I'm obsessed with hip hop music, right? And okay. so I uh, would try to look at like how rappers were doing things and I'd be like, I'm going to do it like them, you know. Um, but rap is a very, very different medium than writing, especially if you're writing like novellas or novels or whatever, because I don't I'm not trying to kind of like shit on the, the creativity of a, of a rapper. But most of the time, like you can go into a studio and there's a beat that's already made. And a lot of the guys who I really do like uh who are maybe not as quote-unquote lyrical as others like they they probably spend like 20 minutes putting down their music and then that's a song you know so (laughs) when you look at a mixtape from somebody like lil b and it's a hundred songs long uh yeah and you know half the songs are good half of them aren't there's something really interesting that's going on there with process you know being able to that, that i that i find interesting but that i just I, cu- I couldn't really make it work with writing because when you do that with writing, you just have a bunch of shitty writing and nobody cares. Um, so there are things that I could take from it and then things that I went crazy trying to take from it that just don't work. At, at, at a certain point, like writing kind of can be sort of boring, but that's okay, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because we're by ourselves. I mean, we're not, we don't have to entertain anybody else while we do it. Yeah. And that that is that's probably like maybe the saving grace of of writing is that it doesn't depend on an audience or at least it's not bound by time mm-hmm. with respect to an audience. Wait, I remember when I well, like what I mean is when I used to work uh, at a coffee shop and we had a uh, an open mic for singer songwriters and you know I used to see these people come out and they just you know, they, you know, put their, I mean, this was their art, right? This yeah, was sure. their, their novel, their story. Their I mean, this was what they did. Sure. And, um, at least the ones who were really serious about it, who are writing their own material, writing their own music, going around, you know, Los Angeles to these various places, you know, trying peddling their CDs or whatever it is. And, you know, I remember there was one guy who I, you know, because I used to set up the equipment and he used to show up really early and would kind of irritate me and I wasn't really a fan of his music. And But then for whatever reason, one night, the performance just blew me away. It just struck me as like extremely earnest and soulful and, and just, he was on. Yeah. And it was like three people there and they were like, you know, they wished they, and they didn't have the same experience that I did. And I was like, wow, it's like, what, how lucky it is to be a writer that you don't have to, like, what if you have your best night and nobody notices? Mm. You don't really have, I mean, that's every day for a writer in a sense, but, um, you know, at least when you do it, no one can take it away from you. It's, it exists as an object. 
Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. Even even if you just type it out and put it in a trunk, it's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and that's I think that's kind of the give and take of you know, um, uh, because there was um, that Hollow Deck records that I was talking about. Uh, the thing that initially got kind of got me into them was they did a one-time performance in Austin where they took this um, Japanese horror film, the name of which I cannot recall. And they had uh, it, the the film is basically uh, f- four fairy tales that are split up, you know, in four segments. And a different band from the record label took each um, section and rescored it live. Oh, wow. uh, and so I was looking around and I was like, I got to find this. Like, I really want to hear the score you know, just because like that concept really interested me and it doesn't exist. Like nobody recorded it. And I think there were 50 people in the audience. And so sometimes that can be pretty cool. But then, like you said, there's also the double edged sword of like, what if instead of 50, it's three and you never do anything that cool again? You know what I'm saying? Like that. It's, yeah. it's both ways, man. Yeah, I got a little depressed thinking about that. I remember, and I, I mean that I guess in a joking way, not in a clinical way, but like what, because in, in Los Angeles, you're surrounded by people, um, you know, who have like this desperate need, this desperate longing for something. Sure. And it's like, what if like you have your best moments as an actor for a audition for a laundry detergent commercial that you don't get? <laughs> I mean, maybe it sounds like I'm making fun of these people, but I'm really, I'm not. I'm like, I don't think you're making fun of them, man. I just think that that would make a really darkly comic story that you should probably write. <laughs> um, it's just like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's like, I mean, maybe it's different for, I mean, I'm kind of fascinated by, you know, musical artists' relationship to live performance because some, you know, um, I mean, they, some people, I think, I, I think most artists take a lot of pride in it Mm -hmm. but it's also something that is very recyclable it's something that you do over and over again and if you make a mistake like it's no big deal right yeah no totally and i think there is uh i kind of want to get to the point where um you know that actually brings us nicely into live readings uh because i do kind of i i go to live I, i go back and forth right and I mean, I guess it's with anything. There's good ones and there's bad ones. There's, I think that people have probably talked that to death, like what a good reading is versus what a bad reading is. And it kind of doesn't really interest me all that much because I think, I think that it's just, um, I think it's just like energy levels. I actually have seen people just read straight from the page and it kills. And I've yeah. also seen people go, you know, just off the cuff and like tell a story kind of like the moth style and have it really go over well. But I've also seen both of those ways tank. So it's sort yeah. of about like energy level. So you have uh, Vermin on the Mount, which is a reading series. And so like, is that how do you, I mean, I'm sure that every once in a while there's like a bomb, right? But how do you keep that energy level going? And, and, and what do you think like kind of separates uh, Vermin on the Mount from maybe a different reading series well i mean at my reading series i don't really coach up you know the people yeah i mean it's it's not there's not a workshop involved there isn't um that kind of thing that kind of element to it there's a series here in san diego that does do that and it's it's amazing and that they have a theme it's called vamp 
mm-hmm. uh, visual art, music, performance, and it's 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 really astonishing the work that goes into it because every month and every there's a theme for the reading. People submit writing to it, and if it gets accepted, then you workshop that piece together, Whoa. and then you meet again with a uh, acting coach who kind of coaches you up on the performance and plus you submit images or video or whatever you want to accompany your reading. So by the time you actually, by the time you get up on stage and do it, it's a fucking good show and uh, your people are comfortable. Everyone, it's a, you know, you kind of formed a mini community. Um, And I remember the first time I did it, I had submitted, you know, something that was a story that I, that was in my, short story collection mm-hmm. and we were like and i was like what workshop you know like oh ho ho you don't understand this story is in a book it's uh <laughs> it's beyond that but you know so but then i went to the workshop and i immediately saw like well yeah of course there are a million ways i can improve this as a performance you know and yeah, i got to it and but it, it you know it's definitely a time investment but it was it was totally worth it Oh, that seems fascinating too that you could take that away from it too, because because you know performance and and like writing are obviously two extremely different things. So that that's interesting to me because I would love to be able to take like a, a workshop where you where it's basically priming your writing for a live reading. In fact, I don't know why Lit Reactor doesn't have a class on that. They should do that. I, I think maybe because it's a hands-on thing and it's something you know that. Excuse me. You have to be in the room. Maybe you don't have to be. It seems like you don't have to be in the room for anything anymore. Google but, Hangouts, uh, bro. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there's um, there's a woman here in San Diego that I work with named Stacy Dyson, and you know, I'm I remember the last time the I had a reading in New York, and I wanted to really you know kill it, and so I met with her so I could get some tips about you know everything from you know emphasis and breathing and things and i and i remember like you know she just had me read it to her like like three times in a row and she just sat there with her with her eyes closed listening you know and i was just like wow this is like this is like the yoda of um <laughs> of acting you know acting right, coaches right, right, right. hell yeah so it's just like you know has a whole different relationship to to the work and and that's part of it is that you kind of have to when you present work in that kind of way or you want to change it for a presentation you kind of have to think of it as something different so what did she do you remember any particular notes that she gave you like just pointers or whatever um just you know like well one you know slowing it down which mm. is, you know, you hear that a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's, she's very good. Her notes are very specific to the piece. Okay. And kind of getting at, you know, where to put the emphasis on things. And and also, you know, part of that is convincing me or the people she works with that, like, what you think is the most important thing about it is it might be something else. I see. So, and all about, like, well, what do you want people to feel when you read this? Which is, like, again, you know, like, you know, you know, if you be honest with yourself, when was the last time you actually engaged that question before a reading? What do I want the people in the audience to feel? I think for most writers is, I hope they like me and I hope I don't suck. <laughs> yeah, that hits close to home. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. 
So, uh, but I mean, I think the best advice that I give just from like, is just own the piece. Yeah. I mean, you, you wrote it, nobody else wrote it. It's yours. So just, just own it. Right. Right. So you've been doing, uh, the vermin, how long has vermin on the mouth been going on? 13 years this summer. Holy shit. <laughs> that is a long time to do anything. Have there ever been any lulls or anything, or have you been pretty consistent with it over 13 fucking years? Well, I mean, it's a quarterly thing, so like, let's not get too carried away. It's not like I'm doing this every week or every month. You know, It's more like it's an irregular, irreverent reading series, and it was from day one because yeah. I wanted that leeway to be able to like, you know, like, do it when I felt like it. Sure kind of thing or also at the beginning like I didn't really know how long I was I wanted to do it or I was going to be allowed to do it or there's a combination of those things you know Mm -hmm. and so um and also I know that I didn't want it to like take over my and ruin my life like um like the way like say a literary magazine can or Mm -hmm. something like that or maybe even a a small press called broken river books yeah I understand (laughs) right i mean well anything can but it's like um you know I, I suspect like it's not the case for people who do podcasts because it's a lot like a reading series and then you just get to you know talk to people and meet interesting people and get access to the stuff that you love oh dude it's been the best thing that it's the best decision i've ever made i love doing this fucking podcast man because you know it is it is completely irregular you know and i can put yeah. and I, I put no restrictions on myself you know if i do three interviews in a week i'm just going to put the three interviews up and then if i go quiet for a week and a half then it's just quiet for a week and a half and then you know it's pretty much like my my only thing is i talk i upload it and that's it you know and it's it's so freeing you know it's just a nice it's a nice change of pace from like you know the sort of sitting by yourself and making sure that every you know line sounds good and stuff like that it's like oh i yeah I, I sound like a like a dumbass there. Okay, cool. Well, that's a part. Of, that's a part of me, man. Like being being a dumbass <laughs> is part of my personality. So, I don't have to hide that like I do with writing. You know. Right. But uh, well, but yeah no so um so and that's I really like the idea that you know that you kind of gave yourself that that space and everything. So what do you do? You do like are are there themes or is it just kind of you know shit Jim likes? No. Well, it has like it has like a punk rock aesthetic in the sense that there's always a poster for the show and you know, the poster can be kind of amusing or gnarly and has got me in a little, got me in some trouble and, you know, from time to time, but that's okay. I don't ever tell anybody what to do or not to do, except I just, all I want out of a poster is that I have a rat on it. Right. 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 And then, um, and then same way, I don't tell like the readers what to read. You know, sometimes I reach out to people for a particular reason. And, you know, if someone has a book coming out, then it's, there's a good chance that they're going to read from that book. But but it's also like if someone is on book tour and they're sick of reading from their book and they want to read something that they they wrote that morning, they, they can do that too, you know? Sure, right, right, right. Um, one time I uh, partnered with a, a YA author... Um, in LA named Cecil Castellucci and had a bunch of YA authors read and they all read the dirtiest shit because they could, they can't do that in a bookstore when kids come to their shows. So right, like, that's hilarious. They, want, they just wanted to read the filthiest stuff that they had written. And that, that, 
So that was pretty hysterical. Was it was it actually so, like gnarly stuff? Was it pretty wild out and out there? Um, I mean, I don't know if it was any more gnarly than it usually is because we get we get some pretty you know people people will hold me to the irreverent thing. I mean, there we had a uh, a male sex worker read something last year, and I, I was squirming all the way through. It was just so disgusting. <laughs> But uh, but hey, you it know, sounds fucking awesome. <laughs> if I'm uncomfortable, then you know we're probably in a good place. Hell you know? yeah, that's so rad. So, um, but yeah, so it's just you know it's irregular, it's irreverent, um, it's always. I, I mean, it's it's mostly it, you know I'm not limited. I don't limit myself to like, you know, indie and emerging writers. And you may go to an event and be like, well, these readers aren't particularly punk rock or. You know, I don't think some of these readers even know what punk rock is, and that's that's fine. You know, it's that's it's more an aesthetic than it is like a, you know, criteria. Well, isn't like the fact that not everybody like there's no rules about being punk rock, fucking punk rock. Well, yeah, I got out <laughs> of that. I got out of that whole you know business a long time ago. I mean, as you know, I write for punk rock zines, and yeah, you know, there's there's some zines that have like you know parameters which is just ridiculous but i mean i guess to say what makes it different is just you know just that approach Mm -hmm. and that we really are about like um indian emerging writers i'm not you know as soon as i have to deal with you know someone's pr person then i'm really not interested anymore you know it's like i mean if if stephen king I told this to something to a friend the other day. If Stephen King emailed me and said, Hey Jim, I want to be on Vermont on the Mount, you know, can we you know, I'll be in LA on this date, can we make that work? I'm like, Yeah, I think we probably can. Right. But, you know, if Stephen King's, you know, publicist emailed me, I'm like, I- I'm just not even gonna reply, you know, it's like <laughs> because I-, I know what's that that's going to entail. They're gonna wanna know about how many seats and how many book sales can they guarantee and what about tickets and what about part? You know, it's just like it becomes, you know, a headache. A, a headache, yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And so, basically, one of the main things that I wanted to talk to you about, and I think it's, uh, it's really cool. I, I want to kind of preface it by uh, relating it to myself, which I'm really good at doing. Um, <laughs> like I kind of, I've kind of done Broken River on my own uh, since it started, and I've only been doing that now for like four years or so and um it's really super difficult and but there there are like these weird times where it's like i don't want to it's almost like i don't want to ask anybody like for help yeah it's, yes. it's fucking stupid man but it's like I, I feel like if i just come out and ask then it's like i'm opening up this weird can of worms and it's like well is david just not up to it like is he losing steam or whatever so it feels vulnerable in a weird way but the, one of the main reasons I wanted to talk to you is because, you know, you basically went on Facebook and were like, hey, I do this reading series, I love doing it, but it's a shitload of work, and I could really, like, use some help. And I was like, oh, you can just you could just do that, and that's okay, right? Oh, and so I dug that. I, I, I come from the exact same play. I mean, this was uh, some a decision that was probably, you know, I don't know, eight or nine years in, in the right, making. Right, right. Because I, I, what you're saying, I respond to exactly, and I think there's like two things. Because one, if you ask for help, and then you get help, and it's not the way you would do it, 
then you have to make a decision. You have to be like, you have to like step in and like, you know, be like, you know, a boss or be, you know, like a supervisor or a teacher or whatever, whatever hat that is you have to wear. Now, all of a sudden you're, you're, it becomes not like this fun thing you do, but now you're in charge of something. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the other side of that is asking for help is you kind of have to have your shit together. Mm, right. Because if you're going to say, you can't just say, hey, can you come in and um, and hop into my brain and know where everything is and understand how everything works and and then organize it all, and then we can maybe do something. And so, of course, it doesn't work that way. So, um, and by, you know, I mean, it's, it's um, let's face it, it's a reading series. It's not a press. It's not a journal. It's not even a podcast. It doesn't require you know a ton of effort um, like those other enterprises do but it does require some organization and that's where i mean you know i started this before i got sober and i mean there are there are parts of vermin's history that i don't remember all that well and Mm -hmm. haven't kept up with in terms of databases and you know where are some of these people now and all those kinds of things and so i've got ambitions for uh, vermin on the mount in the sense that you know I, I always want it to be a more to be a, to be more useful for the people who participate in it i see i mean okay. i think it's a pretty you know like like you like the responsibility you feel as a publisher to your authors i feel a, a lot of that too especially when people are coming from out of town sure um or if it's a part of their tour or you know then if you're asking people, you know, on that kind of level to participate, you want to make sure there's enough people there, that they sell some books, that the whole experience is professional. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's kind of the level where I'm coming at. And then, and also, I mean, it's been 13 years and we've had a ton of people come through and there's some things I want to do to, um, and a bunch of amazing artists making cool posters that, that I have some projects that I'd like to do to like celebrate that nice. and to do anything, to do any of those things beyond what the way it is right now, I just going to need some help. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so I know you put that on Facebook, but did you, is there like a, a like a website that, cause I can put it in the notes of the show that people can go to. Cause you had, a, you had a whole list of basically like uh, things people could do in order to, to sort of help out. Yeah, because I didn't want to like scare someone off and be like, "Well, I don't want to get in front of a microphone," or like, "No, I don't want to help Jim fold chairs at right, you right, know, right. ten o'clock at night." I mean, there's just a lot of different things, and um, so I mean, you can like, go on the website um, vermononthemount.com, or you can just send me an email at jim.vermin at gmail.com, and um, and the response has been great. I've gotten like couple dozen responses from people here in san diego where i live and also in los angeles the show is in san diego and los angeles which you know has some challenges right and then um but i've also got i've got like two responders from canada and just people from all over you know people who have been a part of vermin in the past and it's just it's just a deal where it's now like what i i don't like quitting Mm, i'm very i'm very stubborn Right. Um, I think uh, if you'll allow me an anecdote, when yes, yeah. I remember when um, McSweeney's came out as a magazine, yeah, 
and I, and what a like kind of like that was kind of like an amazing moment in indie publishing yeah. where a bunch of people thought like wow I can do that that's so cool that's amazing I can do that and then they did and then they put out all then there was all these journals that were putting out stuff and I think I was in just about all of them and I can't I don't think any of them are around anymore except for maybe uh Hobart right all these things that came out and then like many of them folded with just within a couple of years because you know guess what it's a lot of work to put out a, a journal or something like that so um so whenever I see like you know an announcement on Facebook of someone you know, kind of turning off the lights on a press or a magazine or something. There's a part of me that's kind of like a, uh, you know, a linebacker from Appalachian State who was an undrafted free agent, and I, you know, with a list of all the people <laughs> at his position that were drafted ahead of him. You know, there's I have I kind of have a chip on my shoulder about it. Yeah. Where I'm like, okay, another one bites the dust. I'm going to keep doing this. Right. Um, I mean, there, there are plenty of weekends where I don't feel like doing it but you know that's any enterprise right sure oh my god man i've i've gotten to the absolute depths of fuck this shit with broken river before (laughs) and what i do is i just like i i turn everything off i make it a point because i'm not i'm not i'm not sober but i make it a point to not touch booze um and i just exist with my deep existential dread and hatred for the the project and then i come out the other side and i'm like all right cool let's get it going let's get it cracking you know what i mean it passes man it but sometimes i think the thing is dude i think i've had those periods last for like three months you know so it's not always just like something you you get over in you know like a week or so so but now i know i'm like it'll pass if i just weather the storm it's like a depression you know um you just kind of have to to get through it and once you do, you know, you'll be back on track. And it feels really good when, when you get back on track. So that, that's that's what I look forward to. When I get grouchy or, you know, upset about it, I'm like, well, it's not, you know, facts on the ground, man. You started a small press and you have, you have absolutely no money to put into it. And you started from literally the bottom. So you're doing pretty okay. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're, yeah. you're doing okay. Just don't, don't give up, right? Yeah, and then... But it's like you're you're involved in the you're you're now part of the, um, you know. My dad used to have a saying that like people who like um, hot dogs and the law shouldn't watch either get made. <laughs> and, right, uh, it's, right. It's pretty funny, you know, like yeah. you know, in the in the sense. But it's like, but if you do like those things, then you probably you know should be involved in a way to make those things. And, uh, and it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of moments when you're opening up a manuscript that, you know, you were, that you've accepted or you're about to accept and you're just like, holy shit, I can't believe that I get to publish this, that I'm looking at this before anybody else is looking at this. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. And it's, it's, it, yeah, it makes, it makes my nerd heart happy, you know, um, and then and then there the, the the thing that i really uh get interested like when i see something that i know is like brilliant but that also like just needs like tweaks because I've, i'm i'm a board at like my dad used to write uh 
he was always working on this giant sci-fi novel all through my youth, right? Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, he never did anything. In fact, I talked to him um, about a couple weeks ago, and he was like, "Can you, you think you can give me some pointers about how to how to get this thing out there on like crazy?" And I'm like, "Yeah, totally." So, and I'm finally like, "Oh yes, father son bonding." The only thing I've wanted my entire life. <laughs> but uh, no, but he used to work on that. And I, uh, when I was 10 or 11, I used to go into uh, his room when he was at work and I used to just mess with his story. Like I just used to move things around and change words. And you know. uh -huh. so it's, it's always been kind of like in my blood to like edit stuff. So I, I really, my blood gets pumping when I get a manuscript that I can, I can like see the heart of, but there's like a lot of, like weird calcium deposits built up around it. You know what I mean? And I get to like yeah. chip away and find that thing, you know? Um, it's the strangest thing, you know, like how you can do that with a piece, but like how, how much harder it is to get that kind of detachment for your own work. Oh yeah. No, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And I can't do it. And I, I realized that like, I, I definitely, one of the things I think when I do ask uh, is going to be for me personally, just like I need, really good beta readers because I, I can't see it you know i can't like i have no idea what's going on here or starting a writing <laughs> a writing group would be cool too so something like that but um oh man i lost my train of thought i was rambling um, about we're talking about your dad's sci-fi novel and editing oh right 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 so yeah so i mean and i know that with like with like uh you know with vermin on the mat it's just like every time you have a good show you have to it feels good right like it's a good feeling yeah, absolutely. It's um, I'm not really sure when my favorite part of it is. I think maybe my favorite part is when uh, I see the poster for the first time. It's like because I never know what it's going to look like, and when it's like when it's particularly badass, I'm all like, "All right, this is going to be cool." Like when right. like seeing it, like seeing an announcement for a show, you know? Yeah. Um, it's like this is going to be great, and um, so that that's really cool, but. But yeah, there is also kind of like, um, I mean, I don't see how, I mean, every once in a while I wonder, like, is this worth doing? You know, like, mm -hmm. I think when I first started, I, I don't think there were too many um, reading series. And, and and I'm not taking credit for there being more reading series in LA because, you know, that's not the case. But now there's a ton of them. Mm -hmm. there, there were, when I started, there weren't too many opportunities for people who weren't poets to, to read their stuff. Right. And, and now that is so absolutely not the case. And, um, so, I mean, I like to, I like, I'm definitely part of that story. I mean, I, I don't, you know, like I said, take credit for making it happen or anything like that, but you know, there's part of me that wonders, like, it's very like pre-adolescent thought, you know, like when you used to think like, if I die, will anyone go to my funeral? <laughs> kind of thing it's like what yeah. if like vermin were just to not happen again would anybody even notice you know? right right oh man no you uh, it's so weird the parallels here that we're thinking you know what i mean it's like it's with the press too it's like dude if i just shut it down and didn't tell anybody like would anybody really give a shit you know <laughs> but i think man i think that like i i like i like the 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 modesty but you know you were talking about how you know you're you're a part of that story but I, and i really i don't think that you should like understate that you know i mean when you started doing it i mean it's people like you who made that decision right and it's it becomes really difficult to quantify you know exactly how much 
influence or you know whatever you had in the fact that now there's a bunch of reading series but the point is is that you went and did something right and so you and everybody else who did something are all probably as far as i'm concerned probably equally responsible for the sort of glut of reading series that exists now right i feel like that's fair to say um but anyway that's my rant about that yeah i mean like i think maybe because i started in 2004 at a time when like the internet was you know like just starting to be you know before social media but internet was like really you know viable and people were communicating online and so now that you had you know people from different parts of the world you know communicating like jamie attenberg um she came and read at vermin on the mount like every time she put out a book she'd drive in her car and she you know would tour all these different places Mm -hmm. but um this kind of goes back to what we were talking about you know you know like the cool older sister or cool older brother who would like physically travel to other places and come back and tell people right well that's what jamie would do she'd be like oh yeah there's a great reading series and in Southern California that you need to check out called Vermin on the Mount. And because it was 2004 and five and six and seven, people could go online and be like, Oh yeah, there it is. You right, know? right, right, right. So that definitely helped. Yeah. It was, it was also a, a right, a good, like good timing for that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Hey man, I, uh, I take it, kept you for over an hour. Sorry about that. But, um, I appreciate you coming on and, and talking to me. No, this was a, a lot of fun. Uh, we have like, a lot more in common than, than I realized, or at least our, our disposition is very simpatico. Yeah, for sure. For, but yeah, no, but I like to I like to just, you know, at the end, extend an invitation. Any other time you want to come back on is uh, is cool. I don't care about repeat guests or anything like that. So, you know, just whenever you feel like saying something, just hit me up and, and we'll chat again. Yeah, maybe when, uh, when some of these projects I've got in mind for Berman... Um, you know, once they uh, get off the ground, I can let you know. And then, you know, and of course, you, if you ever come, want to come down to Southern California, um, you know, it's it's an irregular series. So it's sometimes right. it's hard to, you know, make the schedules work. But um, uh, but you already got the irreverent part down. And, and the same goes for your listeners, too. You know, it's not a, a click. And, uh, and I'm trying to make it a, a community, but we're definitely... Um, getting better about responding to email and um, things like that for people who are interested in the series and participating in the series and wanting to to even, you know, get involved in it. That uh, just, uh, sorry, but real quick, that email thing you said just like gave me kind of chills because I opened my email yesterday and I, uh, there was an email from somebody who had submitted to an anthology that I put together like two years ago. And he was like, just seeing if uh, there's any updates on that. And I thought I had sent out all my rejection notices, but there was this one dude and I, I felt like my, my chest hurt. <laughs> I was like, I was like this fucking, sucks. so I'm, I'm with you on the email too, but uh, yeah, well, like here's, that's the thing. That's why you got to reach out and get some help. Not so you can avoid that because that stuff is always going to happen, but just so you don't feel like unplugging the machine and taking off your shoes and socks and walking into the ocean <laughs> because that, that's what happens with so many of these creative enterprises, these zines and presses and things that start and document amazing things. Right. And then it becomes too much for the personality or it become, you know, life gets in the way or, you know, 
you know, tragedy, God forbid, gets in the way or, you know, brain health issues and addictions and, you know, these things that are just kind of run by one person and don't really have any kind of uh, um, fallback, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you need, you, you got to have some, if you can't have a financial safety net, you have to have a safety net of people, basically. Right. So, uh, so yeah, anyway, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. And I will, uh, I will talk to you soon. Right on. Thanks for having me, man. All right. Bye.